Mm-hmm. Yes. So it talks about suffering produces things. We talked about that in Romans chapter 5. It produces in us character and maturity and all those things. Yes. What else do we know to be true? Okay, we are all sinners, only saved by God's grace. These front row people are killing you guys back here. I'm telling you that. I don't know. Yeah, what else? Yes, and, he, and Paul put that like that. He said that we are dead to sin, right? That we, it's no longer our master. So we are dead to sin. He is no longer our master. We have all been what? Made right. What's the other word for that? We've all been justified. We've all been justified. Okay, and we could go on. There's several things there that we've talked about, okay? But, but we're kind of building the foundation here of, of some things, some doctrinal truths, um, that, that we've learned that are true of all of us, okay? Well, another one that's really important is that we are all one with Christ. We are one with Christ. So last week we talked about whatever is true of him is true of us. Whatever is true of him is true of us. And, and like somebody mentioned over here, if we truly believe that, if we live in that, we really would not sin anymore. Because if we are one with Christ and he is sinless, spotless, then we would too. Our problem is that we don't always live like that, right? We talked about the two fields, the field of death, the field of grace. And even though we've been transported to this other field, the enemy still shouts across the road to us, okay? And one of the things that we mentioned too, just as a background for this whole thing, is that all of this stuff, a lot of this stuff is stuff that we might know here. We might have known this for years. We could, we could recite these things, but has it sunk down to the heart level? Do we live like these things are true? That's the true test of whether we really believe it or not, okay? So I want to begin today with a biblical truth that may not be popular with many of us because it kind of flies in the face of our American culture and what our American culture is supposedly built on. So are you ready? The truth is this, is that none of us are free. Every one of us is a slave. The only question is, to whom? How do you like that? <laughs> Let's open up our Bibles, if you haven't already, to Romans chapter 6, and we'll explain a little bit more about what that means. Page 784. Romans chapter 6, we're going to be in, um, starting in verse 15 today. Paul says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which, which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now before we go much further, it's really important, I think, that we have an understanding of the kind of slavery that Paul was talking about in, in this time in history, in, in Romans, okay? Because it's not really the same kind of slavery that we think about today. This is what uh, R.C. Sproul said about that. He said, to fully grasp Paul's meaning, we have to understand something about indentured servitude. 
When we think of slaves, we tend to think of the slave trade in the West in more recent centuries, man-stealing. We think of slavery as kidnapping young people from Africa, Africa, bringing them across the ocean to the auction block and selling them there to other men. In the ancient world, slavery was primarily voluntary servitude. When someone had a debt he could not pay, he would offer his services to fulfill the debt. Okay? So very different uh, definition or understanding, and, and really a lot of the people in Rome that Paul might have been writing to were themselves indentured servants at the time, which is why he uses this illustration. So slaves in Roman times were primarily indentured servants who offered their services to pay off a debt. And then in verse 16, Paul makes it very clear that we are either slaves to sin because we were all born into that condition as all humans are, which leads to death, or we are slaves to God, which leads to righteousness. It's either one or the other. The reality is that these two paths to slavery are very different. We are all born into being slaves to sin, so we didn't have a choice about our original master. We're all born slaves to to Satan. But then when we choose to follow Christ, what we're doing is we're exchanging one master for another, except this time we get to choose to follow this master, choose to surrender ourselves to him. And because we've been rescued from sin and death, our grateful response is to offer our bodies as slaves to righteousness to God. There is no middle ground. There's nothing in between those two things. But a lot of people like to um, live like there's this magic loophole, that there's some other condition that they can live in um, and, and they're really just self-deceived. So we're going to talk about that. And, and I think the confusion comes when we hear biblical verses like Galatians 5.1, which says, it is for freedom that you have been set free. And so as Christians, we hear that and we're like, oh, well, I'm free. And so we take that word freedom and we run it through the lens of, of American Western understanding of what freedom is, which is I can do whatever I want. That's how we define freedom, right? If you're truly free, when a kid says, I want to move out of the house so I can have my freedom, what are they saying? I want to do whatever I want to do, right? I don't want to have a master anymore, all right? I want to be my own master, all right? And that's just not reality. You see, a lot of us are compelled by the message that through Jesus' death and resurrection that we can have this freedom from uh, sin and death. And all of us, I mean, and most of us, at least I think in our minds at least, we would think, that's a good thing. Like, I want that. I don't want to be a slave to sin and death any longer. So we embrace that. But this freedom from sin many of us have received is not a freedom to do as we please. It's a freedom to do as God pleases. And those are two very different things. What we tend to see in the church is a desire for this no man's land. That this, this whimsical in-between place that we try to create where we say, you know what, I want to take part of this story, part of this truth. I want to take the part where I'm not a slave to sin or death anymore. But I don't really, I don't really want to be a slave to righteousness. That just sounds ugh, heavy. So I'm just not going to do that part. I'm going to get my ticket to heaven and my forgiveness. And then I'm just going to kind of live life the way I want to live it. And kind of pick and choose which parts of the Bible I obey and which parts I don't. And really most Christians live in that place and are convinced that they're totally cool. But as humans, we were not created to be autonomous creatures, to be our own masters. We were created to worship. And so we will worship something. We will worship ourselves. 
We will worship sex or money or freedom or being liked by other people, whatever it might be. Or we will worship God. There is no middle ground. And a lot of people will say to you, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to become a Christian because then I have to give up my freedom. You ever heard that before? The truth is that the freedom that they think they have apart from Christ is an illusion. If they are not slaves to righteousness, then they are slaves to sin and death. And that's just a reality. By definition, all slaves are bound to total obedience to their masters. That's what a slave is. You are kind of laying down your rights, and you're at the, the mercy of your, your master, whatever they want to do. So our life will either be characterized by one of two things. It'll either be generally characterized as a, by a pattern of sin, or generally characterized by a pattern of righteousness. So how can we tell which one is true of us? If you kind of stopped and kind of valued your life and you said, well, what is my life generally characterized by? Am I generally sinful or generally righteous? It's dangerous when we try to evaluate for that for ourselves. I will say that. <clears throat> well, I would just say that the first part in determining who we are slaves to has less to do with whether we've prayed a prayer to receive Jesus or whether we've been baptized or whether we go to church all the time. The true test of who our master is is found in our fruit. I want you to turn in your Bibles over to John chapter 15, actually back to page 750. John 15 It's a famous passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying that I am the vine and you are the branches. You need to remain in me. I want to look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then go over to verse 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So what is spiritual fruit? It's kind of an an awkward phrase we don't really use very often. A couple things come to mind for me. For one, um, it it means the the character and, and quality, the attributes of Christ. Okay, so if my life is displaying the character of Christ to others and whatever you know, that would all encompass. I mean, his, his patience, his love, his graciousness, his power, all those things that we would define as that's God's character. If my life is exhibiting those things, then, then the, the exhibiting of those things would be called my fruit. Okay, that's why that we, in Galatians there's the, the fruits of the spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, okay? So that's one way of looking at fruit. Another way that um, I've, you know, been kind of taught to look at it too is just is kind of the things that your life produces uh like the ministry that you've done the people's lives that you've invested in so if i have somebody that i've poured my life into and tried to pour the life of christ into and they've received that and they're on you know following christ and being a disciple and impacting others i would say that so and so is kind of the fruit of my life the fruit of my ministry this this guy john that i invested time in that that's evidence that's fruit Okay, or a ministry that you've given yourself to. So for me, I would say, you know, Wellspring and all we've done here is kind of fruit of, of my life. So is your life producing fruit? 
That's a very important question because that's really the true test of who your master is. And so if you don't know, this is what I would do. I would go ask somebody who you trust, who you know is a follower of Christ, and I would ask them, do you see fruit in my life? Do you see fruit in my life? And if somebody asks you that question, be honest. I do know this. Jesus said that if you do not stay connected to the vine, you cannot bear fruit. And so any Christian existence, apart from regular scripture reading, regular prayer, regular worship, regular fellowship, regular confession, regular generosity, all the things that would be marks of someone who is remaining in, abiding in Christ, apart from those things, I I don't know that you can really say that you are a follower of Jesus, that you have chosen to make yourself a slave to righteousness. And so that's why I say that sometimes people kind of make this loophole where they say, well, I've confessed that I'm a sinner and I've received that, but their life is not producing fruit. They are still slaves to sin and death. They have not offered themselves as a slave of righteousness to God. So if we are either slaves to Satan or slaves to God, then we better decide which master we'd rather serve. And when you put the two side by side, it seems like a really obvious choice, doesn't it? You got this one guy who's like the father of lies who has come to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And then you've got this other guy who's really good, you know? I mean, he's loving and he's kind, he's compassionate. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And so when you kind of break it down like that, it's almost kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Like who would not want to serve, if you're going to have to serve somebody, who would not want to serve the good guy? You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Those are God's desires for you. Who wouldn't want to serve a master like that? So why do we resist it? I'm asking you, raise your hand. Why do we resist it? Why do we resist saying, okay, God, I'm going to be a slave to you? Okay, flesh that out. Okay, it's difficult going against culture. What else? Yeah, Kendra. Okay, we're distracted by what's right in front of us, tangible things that we want now, (laughs) right? When sometimes being a slave to righteousness means we have to wait sometimes. Yeah, Scott? We're not used to what? Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're, we get familiar with pain and, and kind of stuck where we are as opposed to changing kind of this unknown. We don't know if I, if I make myself a slave to God, what's he going to ask me to do? Which is kind of crazy because it's like you got to go back to the fact that he loves you more than anything. So anything he would have you do would be good for you ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult to go against our sinful nature. What else? Yeah, yeah, giving up things that we perceive as pleasurable, things that we feel like we can't do without, right? We think we know better. And here's one that I came up with, is that we don't feel like we owe him much. Because you see, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that if we had this understanding of of how far God had to go to rescue us, of how far from him we were, 
we would not have any problem going to him and saying, God, I owe you everything because you've rescued me from, from the pit of hell that I've put myself in and I owe you my life. But when we think that we know better, when we're not sure if we can really trust him, when we don't feel like we've been forgiven much, that it makes it hard for us to be a willing servant. So before we all start worrying that we're not really Christians and we're all really hell-bound devil worshipers, because that's really not the angle I'm trying to go down, let's remind ourselves of something. Let's look at verse 18 again. This is what Paul says to the Romans. He says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So remember, guys, if you can honestly say that I have, you know, with with as much knowledge and understanding as you have, I have willingly laid down my life, then you are slaves to righteousness. And that's one of those identity things, again, that we, whether we feel like it or not, whether sometimes the pattern in our life can be a little messy, that's who we are. Remember last week I mentioned that part of the reason why I feel like there's so many Christians living kind of a defeated life, not the victorious life that we should have in Christ that we'll talk a lot more about in, in, in chapters 8, um, is because the gospel that's been prevented, presented to so many of us um, has just been lacking. It hasn't been complete. And you know, you go to a lot of churches and you go to a lot of camps and they're very good at presenting one side of the gospel message. Most, most places are really good at telling you about Jesus being your Savior. And, you know, this whole idea that, that you're sinners, that you can't do anything to, about that condition, that you need somebody to pay the penalty for you, and if you receive Christ, he can do all of this, and you're forgiven, you can go to heaven, all that stuff. And, and many of us receive that message. But what was missing completely, or just very weakly uh, presented, was this whole other side of Jesus being Lord. That when we leave that life of sin, we are exchanging one master for another. It's not just I've got my ticket to heaven and now I'm saved and I can go do whatever I want. And that message doesn't get preached very much. And so people have this incomplete understanding of who God is and what he asks of them and what he requires of them. When we come and surrender our life to him, we are exchanging one master for another. We are still slaves but this time we have the opportunity to choose to be slaves. And remember that we are one with Christ, and Christ was a slave to righteousness, so that's who he was, that's who we are, by identity. You do not have righteousness, righteousness has you. And it's not letting go, whether you want to get out of it or not, sometimes. John MacArthur put it like this. Wow, that's small. He said, for the Christian, the life of unrighteousness, of alienation from, and hostility towards God is past. The old sinful way of life cannot continue to characterize a true Christian. Obedience to God and righteous living is a certainty in the life of a truly justified person. Because of temporary unfaithfulness, sinful disobedience may at times appear to dominate a Christian's life. But a true believer cannot continue indefinitely in disobedience because it is diametrically opposed to this new and holy nature, which cannot indefinitely endure sinful living. In other words, faith and obedience are inexplicably related. You can't have one without the other. So you can't say that I believe in God or I have faith in God, but then not be obedient to him as well. 
Because to say that you believe and have faith is to be obedient. That, that's the proof that you believe those things. But you see, there's all kinds of people going around in this world that, that would claim that they believe in God, but then they don't really want to, to have to obey him. They kind of want life on their own terms. Let's look at verse 19. Paul says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. The Old Testament paints a really amazing picture of this surrendered life. I want you to turn your Bibles way back to the beginning, Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15, page 134. You're probably like, I was just reading Deuteronomy this morning. Liars. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 15, we're going to look at verse 12. It says, if a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, sells himself to you and serves you six years, this is the indentured servitude we were talking about, in the seventh year, you must let him go free. And when you release him, do not send him away empty-handed. Supply him liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, your wine press. Give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. But if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you, because he loves you and your family and is, and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door, and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your maidservant. So you see, in the beginning, this indentured servant really didn't have a choice. They had a debt they owed. They had to go and work and pay it off. But at one point, they had the opportunity to walk away and to go free. But they said, you know what? I love my master. And so I'm willingly going to allow myself to be his slave forever, and I'm going to mark that by kind of putting an, an earring in, okay, kind of like a symbol to everyone in the culture that I'm a, I'm a slave by choice. That's the picture that we're talking about today, not begrudgingly, but with a glad heart, I consider it an honor to serve my king with my life. The story of the Israelites in the Old Testament, if you were to look back over their history, you would see that it's a story that constantly bounces back and forth between captivity and freedom. And probably one of the familiar stories that, that we know the best is, is when the uh, Israelites were in Egypt and they were slaved. And they really didn't have a, a choice about that. Many of them had been born into it, had been slaves for a long time. And this was like slavery like we see it, <laughs> um, not, not an indentured servitude. But then we know that God sends Moses to go and, and to bring his people out. And God orchestrates all the events that makes that possible, and, and he brings his people out into freedom. But it wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't free them from the Egyptians so that they could just go and do whatever they want. This is what he said in Exodus seven sixteen. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now, you have not listened. Okay, and the part I want to look at that is just, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. I'm not giving them their freedom to just do whatever they want. I'm giving them their freedom so they can worship me, free so that they can offer themselves to a new master, 
willing to, to lay down their lives as obedient slaves to righteousness. Let's flip back to Romans 6, finish up our passage this morning, starting in verse 20. Paul says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What benefit did you reap from being slaves to sin? Even if you thought at the time you were a good person doing good things. Paul makes this point in Philippians chapter 3. Flip over there real quick to page 815. Page 815, Philippians chapter 3. Under the heading, No Confidence in the Flesh. Starting kind of halfway through verse 4, Paul says, If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which is what all Jewish boys were supposed to do, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, which means somebody who worked really hard to obey everything, as for zeal persecuting the church, which he means the Christian church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So what he's saying is that if you had this image of what a Jewish boy, like the perfect Jewish boy, I was it. I had risen to the top of the Jewish food chain, and and I had it going on, okay? I don't know if he'd use those words, but, you know, whatever was hip for Jewish people at the time. Okay, let's look at verse 7. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more... I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. So Paul is saying, you know what? I had it all, but I didn't have Jesus. So in hindsight, what I thought I had was rubbish. I now see it's trash compared to knowing Christ. This gift that we gain by freely offering offering ourselves to be slaves to righteousness far outweighs anything this world could offer us. And what Paul is trying to drive home is that former life that we lived as slaves to sin is going to pale in comparison to the new life that we have in Christ as slaves to him. There's this adventurous life that he has for us. And the big picture in all of this is that, that we have been asked to be on mission with God to bring freedom to everyone. This isn't just good news for us. It's good news for everyone, especially those who are still living in captivity and darkness all around us. A lot of you guys know the story of, of Harriet Tubman. You know, she was a slave that escaped and, and went to the north, but then over about the next 20 years, she made 19 missions back into the south at great risk to her own life, obviously, in her own freedom, to bring other slaves out. And and, and over the 19 missions, she brought over 300 slaves out to freedom, and she never lost one person on any of those trips. And it was kind of one funny story. She had a gun, and, uh, and this person decided that they were just 
this was too hard and they wanted to turn back, she pulled the gun on him and said, hey, I haven't lost anyone on any of these trips and you're coming with me. So I'm either burying you here or uh, you're coming. So she meant business. Um, But you know, as I started thinking about it, nobody would have blamed her if she would have never gone back to the South. And she could have lived out the rest of her days in freedom in the North and honestly probably been seen as kind of a hero. I mean, somebody who was willing to be courageous enough to escape and take that risk. I mean, she could have had a really great life and already be seen as somebody who was pretty amazing. But she understood that freedom wasn't just good news for her. That that everybody deserved it. And so, you know, she had a very strong faith in God and a great risk to her life. She offered herself as a slave to Christ and said, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. And for her... His mission was, I want you to go back and bring more people out of slavery. And she lived her days making an eternal difference. And every one of those people that benefited from her, that, that, that's the fruit of her life. I want to conclude this morning with a couple of different invitations. First is to invite those of you who, as you look at things this morning and you take an honest assessment of your life, There might be some in here that say, you know what? I really have not offered myself as a slave to God. And so if that's not my reality, then the other only possible reality is that I'm a slave to sin. And I don't want to be that anymore. Or you maybe have somehow foolishly convinced yourself that you're kind of in this no man's land we were talking about. I kind of like parts of the gospel and the parts about me being free and all that, but I don't really want to be a slave to righteousness. And you might even know I've got patterns of disobedience in my life right now that I'm just, I've just dug my heels in and I don't really care if I'm offending God or not. To those groups of people this morning, I want to say to you that God's gift of forgiveness and, and freedom is there for you and that he's a master that you can trust. And the life that he offers you is not one of drudgery, but it's an amazing life. And he wants good things for you. And that, that offer, opportunity can be yours today to kind of switch allegiances, to, to take a new master on today. For those of you that are here that would already say, Bob, I've, I've made that decision. I'm, I'm, I'm willingly offering my life to Christ. Then I would just ask you to look around. Who has God put in your path right now at work, at school, or wherever you are in your family, in your own home? who are still captives, who are still living in darkness, who still aren't living in freedom. And what would you be willing to risk in order that they might have that? Would you be willing to be like Harriet Tubman and say, at great peril to my own life, my own freedom, I'm going to go back in and help other people be free? Because you see, guys, we aren't Christians just so that we can be blessed or that we can feel good about ourselves or whatever you know we can wear crosses or put fish in our cars or i don't know you know whatever we are here as ambassadors for him to bring good news to other people to set people free to be on mission with him let's take a look and remind ourselves of our mission it was talked about in isaiah 6 and jesus talked about it again in luke chapter 4 but it says the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. 
You see, that was Jesus' mission. And so if we are one with Christ, then that's our mission too. Your mission as a follower of his is to help bring, proclaim freedom for the captives and release of darkness for the prisoners. That's what your life should be about and mine. So if it's not about that, let, let's realign ourselves with what, what we're supposed to be, who, who we're supposed to be as followers of Christ. And, and, and you, know, you might say, well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, you have Jesus living inside of you. So you've got all the power that you need. You just have to believe in the power and the strength that's available to you to, to, to go into places of darkness and, and with people who are dug in in captivity and say, you know what, there's a better way. There's a better life. There's a better master. Look at the fruit in my life. I didn't do this. I didn't become more loving on my own. Jesus has done this to me. As we come to the table this morning to receive communion, it's a, it's a reminder to us of the power that's available to us. When we come and we take from Jesus' body, from Jesus' blood, we are reminded there's great power in us, offered to us. So let's take some time of just quiet reflection this morning, and then our ushers will dismiss you to come up and, and take the communion, and you're going to tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup and, and take it and sit down. Lord, we just come to you and we, we thank you that we've been set free, but it, we haven't been set free to just do as we please. We've been set free to do as you please, God. And Lord, we need to get in touch with how, how much we've been forgiven. Because if we only knew how far from you we were, if we only knew what an enemy and how hostile we were towards you, we would have no problem <laughs> laying down our life and saying, God, my life is yours. I willingly do that. I consider it a privilege to be a servant to the king. So God, hear our prayers right now and help, help align our hearts with yours.